0: Hello,
1: and welcome to the Greatest Science Fiction Film Tournament Podcast from Bureau42.com. I am your host, Alex Case, and joining me today...
0: David Stark.
1: And we are continuing with our Halloween podcasts with The Terminator, the second film directed by James Cameron, though as far as James Cameron himself is concerned, it's effectively his first film. Um, The other one being Piranha 2 The Spawning, which was done for Roger Corman. I I wouldn't want that on my resume. (laughs) Me either. We will be talking about Cameron's work for Corman a little, er, little later, um, when we get around to Battle Beyond the Stars. But for now, we'll focus on the work that kind of made James Cameron a big name, and I'd argue made Arnold Schwarzenegger a big name. I think this movie came out before uh, Conan the Barbarian. And even if Conan had come out first, I'd say that this film had much more of an impact on Arnold's career.
0: Yeah, uh, Conan is... it's so generic (laughs) for what it is. Yeah, the film we were talking about, of course, being The
1: Terminator. Oh, yeah, Yeah, yes. We should probably mention that.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, The Terminator...
1: Uh, and we're going to be focusing primarily on the Terminator this time. Terminator 2 was in the tournament, and so there's enough there to really merit its own podcast on its own. Additionally, Terminator 2 is much more of an action movie than a horror movie than this one is. And it's not like the shift from Alien to Aliens, where both films are horror films. It's just that Aliens is an action horror. Alien... the, the the Aliens still keeps a lot of horror elements to it, whereas Terminator 2, the horror isn't as much there, whereas the Terminator is very much a, a horror film.
0: Yeah. Um. In fact, it's, Terminator is much more of a slasher film than... uh, Yeah, because Terminator 2 is not really much of a slasher film, whereas the Terminator very much is. You have your implacable adversary just... Cutting through everything in his way, very much Mike Myers or Jason.
1: Yeah, the difference being that the Terminator is perfectly willing to use guns.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> yes, he is. Um,
1: and the Terminator also, Mike My- Michael Myers, and Jason Voorhees, they don't talk. The Terminator talks, however, he is still very silent, very quiet, and implacable, as opposed to other talking slasher killers like, well. Freddy? Freddy Krueger. <laughs> who, who don't just talk, they go on at length in the dialogue, and they quip, and they crack jokes. Whereas, if the Terminator cracks a joke, it's completely unintentional. And you don't have any sort of attempt to deliberately crack wise or do one-liners until Terminator 2. I mean, there are iconic lines and quotable lines in this movie, but they're generally not meant as one-liners. Yeah. So... What what was your first exposure to The Terminator?
0: Um, I actually saw Terminator 2 first. Uh, So the first time I saw Terminator was probably six or seven years after I'd seen Terminator 2. And uh, it was in high school. I rented it from the local video shop. Uh, Hollywood video, I believe. Uh, But don't quote me on that. Um, Rest in peace for Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ooh, you were so many memories there. Um, Yeah, so I saw it. I went in expecting just an action flick like Terminator 2 and didn't get that much. Uh, Got a very different experience. Uh, Even at uh, 14 or 15, Arnold scared the bejesus out of me. (laughs) In this film.
1: When I first saw the movie, It wasn't so much ranting it from video stores as much just checking it out from the library mm-hmm. on DVD, but same sort of thing. I'd seen Terminator 2 first and exposed Terminator 2 through the novel as well first. I came into this um, kind of having some understanding of the backstory with Skynet and that sort of thing. And knowing to a certain degree in advance of all of a lot of the important things which from Terminator, uh, from this film that carried on to Terminator 2 in terms of, I knew that Arnold's Terminator was the bad guy, I knew that Michael Bean's character Kyle Reese was going to die, and that at some point, they, Michael Bean would, uh, Kyle Reese would end up being, being the, uh, father of John Connor. But other little visual tidbits I didn't quite know as well. Kind of, I'd forgotten about the, uh, dogs being used to detect Terminators, as well as, for that matter, the nice little semi book ending with the uh photograph with the uh, polaroid of uh Sarah Connor. So sort of like The Predator, this is a movie where you can't root re- where you can kinda go in at length with the synopsis, but it's you don't get as much out of it to a certain degree, uh, as you would with, say, something like Vampire Hunter D or some of the other films we've discussed or uh, that have appeared in the tournament. Probably the, the more interesting ways that the um film starts is It sets up right off the bat, like with Predator, that this is a science fiction film, where we see a snippet of the future war before a title card sets up the time travel part of things. Uh, The difference is, is while Predator is undermined by the by the presence of the little science fiction sci-fi snippet at the beginning of the movie, with um, seeing the Predator's ship deposit the Predator on Earth. Here, it wears its sort of science fiction time travel cards on its sleeve, and makes the film more interesting and rises, lifts it above the conventional slasher film because of it. But with the introduction of both the Terminator and Kyle Reese, in similar but also very different ways, where we get the... Where we see the predator, oh, the, predator the, the the Terminator acting in predatory fashion, very quick, very early on, where he shows up naked and goes
0: and kills two some street punks for their clothes. Oh man, these punks! <laughs> these punks. One of which incl- is Bill Paxton, who we saw. Who we didn't really get into much. when We were talking about Predator Two
1: last episode. Uh, we did talk about a fair amount when we were talking about Aliens last year for the podcasts.
0: Yeah, so the only actor to have characters who've been killed by Predators, Terminators, and Aliens. Wait, no. Actually, Lance Hendrickson has also done it.
1: Yep, yeah, Lance Hendrickson, who also appears in the, in this film. Yeah,
0: <laughs> A weirdly young Lance Hendrickson is in this film.
1: Yeah, uh, though Lance Hendrickson, though I don't be boast about this, can claim he's the only person to have been killed by uh, Alien, Predator, Terminator, and Pumpkinhead.
0: Yeah...
1: Yeah, he probably head. is not going to boast about that
0: though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also one of the punks is one of my favorite character actors, Brian Thompson, in his first role. He's a big guy, and he play he's just he's one of those actors who's in like just terrible, terrible movies, but he's like always around. <laughs> he's the uh, alien bounty hunter on the X-Files, right? Yeah, alien bounty hunter on the X-Files. Um he was, uh, the big bad in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. He's, yeah, he's just been in so many things. He's in a number of Star Trek episodes and generations, actually. Now, I bring up the, uh, X Files because, which means that he will be coming up
1: on Blaine's X Files retrospective podcast at some point in the future. Um, do some cross promotion there. And so. On the other hand, Kyle Reese, his, uh, arrival is a bit more haphazard. Like, Terminate, like, Skynet successfully puts the deposit of the Terminator at ground level. Kyle Reese ends up, like, about five feet or so in the air when he's deposited. And ends up kind of basic. Fortunately, he's not, like, brought in upside down and dropped on his head. Like that. That would, yeah. That would lead to unpleasantness. But it is certainly he ends up dropped on his, uh, on his side
0: yeah and and the first thing he sees is this homeless person who asks if he saw a big a bright light and immediately he takes this guy's pants <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then Kyle's next stop. It's gonna be interesting by like, comparison, is, uh, also, is we do get com- kind of contrast between the two right off the bat, whereas the Predator, Predator, Terminator. <laughs> they're both slasher villains, they both act in a very, I mean, Terminator acts very predatory. Uh, he, he moves like a predator, like, like he's actively hunting at all times. This have kind a of sense of constant awareness. Terminator, whereas he basically takes, kills people for their clothes, Kyle actively tries to avoid confrontation. He runs from the cops. He doesn't fight them. He breaks in... When he breaks into a department store, while evading the cops, he also kind of takes those and scavenges clo- uh, clothes there, change of clothes, including having the sense to take a, uh, a trench coat to hide uh, a gun underneath, whereas the uh, Terminator never really kind of bothers to conceal his weapons.
0: Yeah. Also... Yeah, because the Terminator, he doesn't really avoid... Con- he just walks through confrontation with the confidence of an individual who can shrug off bullets. <laughs> Pretty
1: much. Um, There's also kind of another place where the sort of slasher movie implacable, um, unstoppable machine, uh, killing machine comparison comes in. Because in slasher movies, generally, when a killer has an interaction with really anyone, it ends with the killer killing that person. And with, like, maybe a couple exceptions when Arnold's, Arnold encounters someone, when the Terminator encounters someone, but for any length of time, he just kills him. He kills the, uh, when, when he goes to get guns, he goes to a gun shop, asks for a selection of weapons, one of which does, has not yet been invented. <laughs> the play- phased plasma rifle in a 30-watt range. And after he gets the guns he needs, he loads the shotgun and kills the gun owner. And then heads out. Whereas, um... Kyle has a much smaller selection of weapons because he's basically quietly stealing them from people. Uh, police off Basically, both his guns he steals from a police officer.
0: Evading the cops, circles around to one of the cop cars, op- just opens the door and takes a shotgun out of it. Yeah. Whatever officer that is, he's probably going
1: to get a very, very long lecture from his uh, captain <laughs> oh, when he gets God. back to the office. So let me get this straight. You... Let a suspect take your pistol away from you, and then, while pursuing the suspect into a building, you left your car unlocked. You then and your shotgun unsecured, so that the suspect was able to circle around back around you, behind you. Go to the car and then steal the shotgun.
0: Well, when you do, put I have it, this about right. Well, when you put it like that, it sounds like I'm a moron. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: also leads to. The Terminator, since he doesn't have a picture of what the real Sarah Connor looks like, doing a very straightforward, methodical way of finding the correct Sarah Connor to kill. Going through the phone, bo- phone book, getting the addresses of every Sarah Connor. By the way, phone book in a phone booth. I don't know which is more impressive, the fact that the nostalgia of the phone booth still exists, uh, that phone booth still exists or the fact that that phone book hasn't been stolen from the, from the phone booth.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a good thing Sarah wasn't on vacation this week. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, kind of, yeah.
1: I mean, though, she does work a minimum wage restaurant job, so I don't know if she gets vacation days.
0: Okay, well, visiting a family member. That then. is true. The point is, she's...
1: Were she out of the house, she'd be kind of be in trouble. Yeah. Rather, the future would kind of be in trouble.
0: Or well, kind of safe, because... There's the scene where the Terminator breaks into her apartment and just kills her roommate assuming it's her. And the only reason he no he does he doesn't just go off job well done is because Sarah chooses that exact moment to call and leave a message telling her telling her roommate where she is. Yeah.
1: True. So yeah, the scene with the Terminator methodically killing the Sarah Connor is it's kind of interesting in terms of how the, that that the police. Re- this brings our police subplot into it as well, and the police respond to this very well. So they they pick up the pattern pretty much immediately, and take logical steps to let to try to get any other Sarah Connors in the area aware of what's going on and get them under police protection. Admittedly, there's only real one really one other Sarah Connor in the area, and then once they find her, they assuming they're dealing with you know an ordinary human being, put her under some heavy police protection. Were they dealing with Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers here? This plan would probably work. It would probably be a thirty-minute movie.
0: Yeah. Um. I have to say, I really enjoyed the fact that pretty much everyone in this movie is competent. There's no, there's no like excessively stupid individuals. Uh, no one's carrying the idiot ball. Yeah, I, I completely agree.
1: Even the psych uh,
0: psychiatrist, who by the second movie uh, is
1: <gasps> just being kind of aggressively, stupidly skeptical, point beyond any reasonable evidence in terms of assuming that somebody's actually, I mean, in, in terms of kind of his um response to the idea that the Terminator might be back or anything like that. But here, it here he the skepticism is kind of justified. They didn't encounter the other, uh, there the are many police officers who encountered the actual Terminator to provide testimony of its capabilities before it ran off. To regroup, um, So all they have to base this on is Kyle Reese's story, which at first, which typically falls in the category of You Wouldn't Believe Me If I Told You, unless you'd actually seen the Terminator in action. And Sarah Connor's testimony, which they do fairly well explain, with what information they have available, as, oh, he's wearing body armor, and he's hopped up on, on angel
0: dust. <laughs> yeah, and... I'd buy it as an explanation, you know, if it in real world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reason
1: we as the audience think that, the, that their actions, might, might think their actions are dumb, is because we have more information than both of them. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, to a certain degree, we have more information, information than even Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor have, because the movie doesn't stick with a fixed perspective of only following one character. It follows protagon, uh, protagonist and, and antagonist equally. Which does a really good job building up a sense of suspense. I mean, even slasher movies, uh, if the if we get an antagonist's eye view, usually the antagon- the perspective of the antagonist is somewhat obscured. If it's antagonist's eye view, it is literally literally their eye, their eye view. We have no real way of getting into their way of thinking, whereas we know how we
0: know fairly early on how the Terminator thinks and how it acts. It thinks like a 1980s computer. Get a task. Figure out easiest. Figure out simplest way to perform this task. Perform task. Precisely.
1: One and... thing that's kind of interesting about this also is I think, is, as far as the movie dating itself, aside from the computer displays and that sort of thing, is to a certain degree the, the, the police lo- armament as well. Uh, it's, it's a very pre West Hollywood shootout law enforcement setup. I mean, the, the police have body armor and they have shotguns and they have assault rifles and stuff at the station, but nothing bigger than that outside of the station. It's very much pre the milita- militarization of the police. Which kind of makes things interesting, because, um, particularly with when we get the Terminator attacking the police station later on. I mean, it's, it's a police station which isn't really th- considering the idea of, oh, a suspect is actually going to drive a car through the front door of the police station and go in and shoot the, and completely destroy the place.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting given just, well, what's going on in the modern day with the, with, militant police forces and military armed police forces it's uh it's a simpler time <laughs> indeed i mean it, it's very much in, in, in a weird way if the
1: terminator were to be remade and set in the present day law enforcement might actually kind of picked up terminator was a robot probably early on earlier on in a weird sense
0: and even failing that most uh well, Los Angeles police forces would definitely be better equipped to take on this killer robot. Yeah,
1: it, it, it's almost a weird comparison to, like, if you look at, say, old Doctor Who and you see Unit taking on the Daleks or the Cybermen or the sontarons or, or that sort of thing, and kind of being overmatched or compared to, say, modern Doctor Who, like, maybe not just modern Doctor Who with when we see the Tarans in the Poison Sky, but when we get to, like, the Battle of Canary Wharf, where the British military, not even unit specifically, but the British military, is able to quickly muster and take out several Cybermen. They're matched by Daleks, because, hey, Daleks, but they're... Anyway, um... So, that whole kind of thing is 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 interestingly done. It's also kind of interesting compared to, like, I don't want to get too much into Terminator too, but with how the Terminator gets information from the police compared to ha- uh, how the T-1000 gets information from the police, where... We, fairly early early on, when we get the Terminator's mimicry abilities, vocal mimicry abilities set up, uh, it's established through him using the radio to get information, whereas in, and also to get the, um, interestingly, to get the, uh, to to use the radio to get the police to do his work for him, as opposed to the T-1000, where basically, where at that point, cop cars have computers mounted in them, and it's able to quickly use the computer system to get information, to get the information it needs
0: yeah um also one thing I was real one thing I thought was very interesting with the Terminator in this film is when he first goes to the police station because you know Sarah Connor is there, <laughs> he goes up to the front clerk, claims to be a friend of hers, and asks to see her, which I thought was very interesting because it's he's not going out of his way to just kill people, which was very interesting to me, yeah, and it's kind of those earth guys serve the double purpose of
1: Terminator goes in, asks to see Sarah Connor, claims to be a friend of hers, so if it works, he gets let in. If he's at the wrong station, then he knows he's at the wrong station, and he might be able to get the right station that way, and if they won't let, and if they won't, if he's at the right station, they won't let her in, Well not let, let him in to see her, well, then he can just wreck the place.
0: Yep. Although, the cop says, you know, she's giving a statement, it'll probably be a while, if you want to wait, there's a bitch. I'm just curious as to what would have happened if he decided to just, like, wait. (laughs) You know, because it would have, you know, she probably just would have walked out, and then he could have just pulled a gun and shot her. Pretty much.
1: That is an interesting um, thing. There's the alternatively possibility where, I don't know if they have surveillance cameras on the lobby or whatever. Oh, that's true. Where it's like, had had her um, look at the surveillance camera pic- surveillance pictures. The camera say, "Hey, is this the guy who was shooting at you, or, or is this guy o- guy okay?" At which point, they, she could say, "Yeah, that's the guy." At which point, she they hustle him hustle her out the back, and then they try to arrest her, arrest the uh, Terminator, and fail.
0: True, true. Yeah.
1: Oh, I just the Person who I have completely failed to mention. We, we mentioned. Lance Hendrickson, Michael Bean, and of course Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, Paul Winfield, ah yes, as Lieutenant Traxler, who is in, in charge of this investigation and who we'll be talking about later. Later, when we get to the Star Trek movies in Star Trek II: The Wrath he does a re, uh, he's uh, of of the actors in this cast. He's probably the biggest name. Either the people in this cast are either character actors like Hendrickson, or. Earl Bowen as Doctor Superman, or Michael Bean, who was a, primarily a theater actor at the time, guys who'd been basic B monster movies and fan- and Italian fantasy films and that sort of thing, like Schwarzenegger, and then kind of Paul Winfield's the big name, which ties everything together.
0: Yeah, it's yeah the cast is just full of people who. <laughs> became famous. Yeah, he became famous
1: and probably, again, you know, Paul Woodfield by that point is the guy who'd already kind of beat, who'd already achieved fame. He'd gotten, at you know, this point, he'd already done Film Sounder, which had got him a be Award, Award nomination. He had gotten a Emmy nomina- nomination for the TV miniseries King, where he played Martin Luther King. And, so, it's kind of a, and then we have, uh, then he goes to the film and kind of ups the credibility of the film a bunch. So, um, after the big shootout in the police station, Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor manage to slip away. There's a deleted scene here. There's a kind of deleted subplot where Traxler kind of starts putting pieces together and comes to the conclusion that maybe Kyle Reese is right and not totally crazy. And actually, after he is mortally, mortally wounded, he gets to kind of get the scene where he basically apologize, apologizes to Reese and gives him a gun before, while they escape. And he heads out, and they head out. Kind of, there's one other deleted scene here, which. It's interesting. Basically, Kyle Reese, uh, once they're out in the countryside, kind of has a breakdown. Basically, when he ends up encountering, you know, grass, trees, things which don't exist in his future. And he's is definitely able to enjoy them, in part because the fact that he also knows that all these things are, go- are, are going to be erased from the world, so to speak. Which is an interesting thi- thing. Uh, particularly, yeah, which is a really interesting character moment. I wish that scene had made it into the theatrical cut of the movie.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a good scene, uh, but I can see why it didn't make it in because it's a great character piece, but it doesn't do much to advance the story. That's fair.
1: Um, but considering the sort of the importance of the relationship between Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese, it's kind of important for building that and, and further building that chemistry. I mean, Michael Bean and Linda Hamilton have great chemistry. But having some moments to show that chemistry are really important. Particularly because we we get some of that. We have we have Sarah Connor tending to Kyle's wound in basically a uh, culvert, and it was our our second of a couple of flashbacks. I can't talk about the flashbacks that much. We have several flashback sequences which show the future war. And it's actually kind of interesting that the, the later films in the series after the film has after the franchise has gotten some name recognition and gotten the films to have higher budgets actually spend less time in the future war than this movie does.
0: Yeah, and also I really like the future war the vision that the visions that we get of it in this movie much more than, you know, what we see from the the subsequent films in the series where the terminators are humanoid because they're designed to infiltrate whereas later films like salvation just have human skeletons or mechanical skeletons and it was like well, what's the purpose of that <laughs> oh it's carrying a chain gun why you can mount a chain gun on something a lot more stable
1: yeah it is particularly interesting um I'm not getting too much into the later movies, like compared to Salvation and that sort of thing, where once you get the Terminator movies that are after built after the you know the introduction of the of the armed drone, yeah, you kind of a situation where you don't need to have as many humanoid Terminators. Even if you have like Terminators managing being used to protect the interior of a facility or manage prisoners or that sort of thing, you still don't necessarily need to have a human be using the endoskeleton models for that aside from the fact that the endoskeleton is iconic because of the first film
0: yeah it's one of those this film clearly they gave a lot of thought as to you know the the form and the function of uh skynet's or military for lack of a better word and yeah and they sort of just get more not really thinking about it so much as oh that's cool we, they did that in the first film. Let's do that again. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: the, kind of the armies of the endoskeletons in Terminator 2, I can kind of forgive that a little more because it's, it's the same director, same writer working on that movie. It's James Cameron.
0: Yeah, well... That one actually did make sense to me in that one particular bit because it's been established by this film and that one that Skynet is losing. It's losing a lot of its uh, manufacturing capabilities by this point. So, to me at least, I was like, "Oh, it's like desperate. It's flooding the, it's flooding its battlefield with infiltrators because that's all it has left."
1: Yeah, and even for and even by, it's particularly concerning. I, we're probably getting a bit more into Terminator Two than I'd like, but. In the opening of Terminator 2, the the opening sequence was originally meant to be that that the, that was actually the final battle. That it was John Connor and the Resistance push through, take Skynet, shut it down, send Kyle Reese back, and then we learn something else has been sent back. And so it makes sense to have a whole bunch of, of for lack of a better term, skinless skin jobs <laughs> out in the front lines. Yeah. Because Skynet's going... Oh my goodness, we send everything, send absolutely everything. If we don't, we're going to, I'm going to lose, and, we'll, and we will be destroyed. And, but, and, yeah. Anyway, the the Future War sequences here are very well done. Uh, I'm trying to remember if they were working with Stan Winston yet.
0: Yeah, Stan Winston, um... Actually, I'm not sure if he worked on the Future War. I know he did, um... The like replica of Arnold's face when they have to do when he's cutting like out the eye, which, oh, uh, such a great shot. It's it's dated. Um, if you go back and look at it now, you can you can tell it's not actually him. But I think it still looks good. Um, it's it's a practical effect. And as I say of practical effects, um, they will always look as good as they did when you filmed them. Because you're filming an actual thing. I mean, you don't go back to it. Unlike CG, that you can go back 10 years later and say, oh, that looks so fake. A practical effect will always look as good as it did the first time. That's fair. All right, so the Future War
1: sequences were done by Fantasy II, which is actually a studio I've discussed previously. We were talking about Flight of the Navigator, where they did the ship effects there, as well as some of the lighting effects for the, uh, when the ship travels back in time. So, other than that, we do have we do try to give a, a very brief romance subplot with Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor, basically ultimately culminating in a sex scene and a uh, sex scene after making some pipe bombs, bonding over pipe bombs.
0: Okay. Yeah, he says he yeah he they're going to make plastique, which he learned how to do in, as a kid, and they make pipe bombs.
1: Oh, presumably pipe bombs
0: stuff with plastic, but yeah. still. Which is, which honestly is sort of curious to me as to why he'd go with the plas with the pipe bomb because those are really good for shrapnel, which is not something that's effective against the Terminator.
1: When we see the pipe bombs used against it, and it's either like point blank range ish stuff, like with the truck, or when Kyle Reese dies, where he stuck, basically sticks the pipe bomb in the Terminators in the end of skeletons structure or trying to disable the Terminator's vehicle in which case it does not played out that well when it's used against the uh, Terminator's motorcycle because theoretically the shrapnel should thre- shred the motorcycles tires and send him flying head over teakettle but that doesn't actually happen anywho so film kind of wraps up with with Sarah Connor obviously being the being the final girl and defeating the t-800 by crushing it in a hydraulic press this goes kind of interesting with these films where the terminate where the various monsters various machines from the future are getting destroyed by other machi- by more modern machines. Um, hydraulic press in this one. Um, giant uh, vat of li- uh, liquid metal in the second one. Terminator 3, if that existed, breaks the trend, but that movie doesn't exist. So. And there's one more deleted scene for this movie with um, revealing that the building that this final confrontation was happening at was Cyberdyne, which has previously been established in the film as being the company that builds Skynet and some Cyberdyne employees quietly kind of grab the crushed remains of the T-800 endoskeleton and hide them to be reverse-engineered and setting up the future. And the movie ends with uh, Sarah Connor getting the Polaroid picture from earlier in the movie taken and driving off into parts unknown to hole up and wait for the future. So, probably some interesting notes about the movie. Arnold actually had problems with the I'll be back line. The iconic line. I had problems pronouncing it with his accent. Apparently, his his English still needed work at the time. Still, English is still pretty good, but needed a dialect some more time with a dialect coach. And this this is a movie where it's clear, like, oh, if they had the budget for a dialect coach, they put it into other things that would show up on screen, like the
0: effects. Yeah. Um. I actually re- going back when I rewatched it for this review, I really liked that line because it's not really sort of a menacing "I'll be back." It's more of just a all right. Thank you for giving me this information. I'll be back later.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's a very casual line. It's the only reason that it's something we pay attention to is because it's, it's <laughs> Would become it, iconic and used in every other movie in the series.
0: Yeah. Just the... Also, one reason it's so great is because of what it immediately precedes. <laughs> of course. I mean, it, it, it heralds the truck
1: hurtling through the front of the building and then the extremely impressive police station massacre. Yeah, the running That's gun. That's really battle. what it is. Okay, so yeah, this was made after Conan the Barbarian, but before Conan the Destroyer. Well, sort well before Conan the Destroyer was released, there was actually a pause in production where Dino De Laurentiis basically said, "Oh, um, we're going to do Conan the Destroyer after all. We're going to go shoot that, and we're taking Arnold because of this clause we have in this contract." Ouch. Yeah. And basically, at this point, while they were kind of on forced hiatus, James Cameron went and worked on Aliens some more, in terms of the script. Yeah. And other interesting production notes. Arnold was not the first choice for for the uh, uh, Terminator. Oh. Actually, originally, Lance Hedrickson was the first choice to play up the Infiltrator model of this. But when they decided doing to go the menacing route, they considered going with O.J. Simpson. Oh. <laughs> with, with perhaps the most hilarious in hindsight moment, or well, darkly comic in hindsight moment in film history, with James Cameron turning down O.J. Simpson, feeling that he would not be convincing as a killer.
0: Well, that's what the jury found. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, also originally for Kyle Reese, actually Schwarzenegger was considered to play Reese, also earlier on, I think. I mean, even if they went the infiltrator route, and it get gone with uh, Lance Hendrickson as the Terminator, I don't think Schwarzenegger would have been a convincing Reese. Partially, with, if he was having that much problem with his dialogue, with pronunciation at this point, um, the amount of dialogue that Reese has to have, because he's the primary exposition vehicle, could have caused problems. I mean, by the time we got to Terminator 2, Arnold's English, had got, um, Arnold's Ar- 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 pronunciation had gotten better. I would not be surprised if, like, between this money from Conan and his money from this, Arnold basically went, "All right, I forget waiting for somebody from a movie to hire a dialect coach. I'm going to hire a dialect coach. To sit down and make sure my uh, while well, I preserve my iconic accent, because people, that accent is a much a part of my brand, if you will, as anything else. Make it so I am much more coherent and can handle some of these more difficult to pronounce lines."
0: Yeah. Um. Which is, you know, fine. I think it's great. He h- hung on to his accent. Um. There are actually some actors who, because they have to do, you know, they have to put on an American accent, as it were, have actually lost their natural ones. Um, Gary Oldman, I actually just recently read about, he had to hire a dialect coach to get his old accent back because he'd been doing so, many, so much work for Hollywood that he'd lost his British accent. Yeah, Christian Bale. I mean, most <laughs> people probably don't really know that Christian Bale's British. Yeah. Oh, God. Listening to him outside of a movie, it's completely different. So, I'm I'm glad that Arnold found foundly
1: good balance of keeping his accent while also maintaining coherence. As opposed to, I mean, oh gosh, what's his face? Who did he play from the from the Rocky movies? Not Stallone, but who was in uh, Rocky Four? The guy played Ivan Drago.
0: Oh, um, shh, <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren, thank you. Dolph Lundgren, who
1: like Arnold is also a very smart person. I mean, he has a PhD in chemical in chemistry. He he has his doctorate and actually it, it, he came back to finish his PhD after dropping out to be an act dropping out of MIT to be an actor. He has a he also has a very thick accent, uh, but it's much less comprehensible than uh, comprehensive than, than Arnold's is, and I think that's actually kinda hurt to a certain degree hurt his film career. Otherwise, he probably would have gotten a much more, a much broader film role in terms of, like, Lundgren being the guy you get if you can't get Arnold.
0: Yeah. Also, also just the choice of what movies they were in. Really. Because Arnold's
1: much more, Arnold, particularly from here on, is a much more, I mean, aside, aside from some of his comedies, is a much more picky.
0: Yeah, and that really helped. Whereas Lundgren. Lundgren is not a bad actor by, you know, most definitions. He's he's a character actor, definitely, but not a bad one. However, he has been in some terrible movies.
1: Yeah, he is to a certain degree. I mean, he is a very, he is a heavily working actor. He is to a certain degree kind of like Ron Perlman in that respect where he where he doesn't say no very much. With the difference being is Ron Perlman's managed to attach himself with some big to some big name directors, which has helped his career in the long term. Guys like Guillermo del Toro, among others. Yeah. Whereas, I whereas to a certain degree, because he's I, I can't see any big name, high quality director, uh, recognizable artur director that Lundgren has really attached
0: himself to. Although to his credit, Lundgren does star in one of my favorite comedies, Masters of the Universe. <laughs> Not meant to be a comedy, but by God, it is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean,
1: Arnold, he doesn't really attach himself. I guess, yeah, he, I could say, I could kind of describe Cameron as an art tour director. I mean, his his, uh, his, filmo- I mean, his filmography is primarily science fiction works, but he, he has a very distinct, well-thought-out vision of how his movies are, are, are put together, and it shows in everything he makes. Um, and while he's not as attached um, Arnold to his work the way that Guillermo del Toro has latched on to, to Ron Perlman or how Quentin Tarantino has latched on to Samuel L. Jackson or Harvey Keitel, it shows that when that when they made Terminator 2, while certainly Arnold is iconic as the Terminator, the fact that they decided oh it's going to be a term it's going to be Terminator versus Terminator as opposed to Terminator, as opposed to even more advanced Terminator versus another human from the future kind of setup.
0: Yeah. There was that whole, you know, sequel escalation where you have to build on what the previous film did. And eh, it works. It also allows 2 to be a different kind of movie than 1 because you couldn't really have, like, all the action things you do if uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger character in 2 was a human. I get so So,
1: um, additionally, th- this film did... I mean, aside from it, it's from, from building such a massive brand around it, it's got it, it. It did very well financially. I mean, its budget was about sixty. Uh, it's about six million dollars, six point four million dollars. Our dear rule of thumb is: if it is movie needs to make about twice its budget back to sort of be in the in the vicinity of profitability, and. So going by IMDB, let's see if I can find this in box, op- uh, box Office Mojo, doesn't really quite exist the same way anymore as it used to, which means it doesn't exist, which is a bummer. By the end of uh, J- uh, January 1985, which puts us at about three months in theaters, or just its U.S. box office, not including any international stuff, the movie had made $38 million dollars and just on its opening weekend it had already made uh four million dollars so we're getting this already getting pretty close do some quick math here yeah so about about five times it's about five six times its uh budget back by the end of its theatrical run and that's before we're getting into stuff like home video or that sort of thing so this movie definitely six a financially successful film as opposed to just one of those cult classics that gets a sequel later on kind of things. It's fairly impressive. It's really impressive, particularly for again, a horror film, effectively. And because I think this film was kind of coming out around the time where there was a certain degree of pushback at the sort of slasher film horror movies, where we were getting like, okay, we're doing our final chapter of Friday the 13th, we're doing our final chapter of uh freddy krueger because we're not sure how much longer we can push this out and we're getting pushback from critics we're getting pushback from audiences on this genre and we have um let's see how it fared the tournament it also fared very well in the tournament um it advanced the round of 42 which brings us into the actual brackets first round went up against another horror film which we'll be talking which we may talk about next year david cronenberg's the fly and the Fly was terminated, 8% to 90%. <sighs>
0: yeah, well, The Fly is... Fly is a good movie, but... This movie is dark, but... Well, this movie is a horror film, but The Fly is dark. Yeah, and to a certain
1: degree, Kron- the Fly, like many of other Cronenberg's films that made the tournament, is much more focused on body horror, which is something that's not really for everyone.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean The the other body horror film which we've kind of discussed on here, John Carpenter's The Thing, while, was, while there are prominent elements of body horror in that movie, it also has really strong elements of suspense and paranoia. So even if you have to cover your eyes and look away for the body horror, there's all the other elements that that, that keep you in there and, and watch the movie.
0: The body horror in The Thing is... um It sort of expands and moves and helps the story along whereas the body horror in the fly is for the most part the story the story is based around the changing his body transforming and it's yeah very different uses of the body horror
1: it anyway terminator went on to go up against to beat Jurassic Park Brazil and inception before finally Running into two thousand one, a space odyssey, which basically shut it down. And there's no shame in losing to two thousand one, a space odyssey, as that one also got beaten by Star Wars. Woo, who was well our champion. So honestly, I'd say the Terminator fared very well in this tournament because basically, the the one the rounds where it was fared the closest, with the exception of Brazil, were the rounds that were either going up with the good movies, the movies that everyone remembered. Or like like we're, we're integral parts of people's childhood, like ter- like uh, Jurassic Park or cerebral sci-fi, with maybe the exception of uh, Inception, where it's fairly clear-cut for Terminator. Excuse me. I think that pretty much wraps it up. Any final
0: thoughts on the Terminator? If you haven't watched it, watch it. Although if you haven't watched it, there's like spoilers throughout. <laughs> that that's true. I'll, I'll change that to if you haven't watched it recently, go and watch it again.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible where, much as when we came in, both of us, when we came into the Terminator, we'd seen Terminator 2, but not the original film. And to sort of if you haven't seen, the, if you've seen Terminator 2 and 3, or Sarah Connor Chronicles, or any of the subsequent works in the franchise, and haven't gone back to the beginning, uh, it's definitely worth it. It holds up incredibly well. It is a very excellently done horror film. So, next time, Blaine, uh, Blaine will be returning to the Greatest Science Fiction Film Tournament Podcast to discuss Ghostbusters. And... So, if you don't listen, so yeah, I'll just make that right now. I am in fact in favor of busting. I get a good feeling when 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 busting, and I am
0: not afraid of any ghost. So, if one were to have a ghost show up, who would one call? I believe you would call the ghostbusters. Ah.
1: So, in the meantime, um, please give us a review on Stitcher or iTunes if you enjoyed the podcast also. For feedback, send an email to bureau42podcasts at jmail.com and post in the comments at bureau42.com. Also, feel free to come to the site and enjoy our other Halloween-related content and other films and film reviews and TV show reviews that we're doing, in addition to book reviews and various news
0: coverage. And so, until next time, I'm Alex Case. I'm David Stark. Thank you very much for listening.